0: Acts chapter 24, we'll begin at verse 24, and let's read together, shall we? But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. But as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. At the same time, too, he was hoping that money would be given him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send for him quite often and converse with him. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. Now, Lord, once again, I ask that you will strengthen me and give me clarity so that I may proclaim your truth today in a manner that is easily understood. But most important, I pray that you will help us to have ears to hear what the Spirit will say in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. And I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you, I ask you to draw them back to you, Lord. I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. Don't let one of them be lost. I ask these things in the only name that matters, the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Over the years, a lot has been said and written about procrastination. I found a few fun things about procrastination. One person said, procrastination is the art of keeping up with yesterday. Mark Twain said, never put off until tomorrow what you can do the day after tomorrow. Procrastination is like a credit card. It's a lot of fun until you get the bill. And then there's this little rhyme I stumbled across a number of years ago. Procrastination is my sin. It brings me naught but sorrow. I know that I should stop it. In fact, I will tomorrow. (laughs) Those witticisms may evoke a chuckle. But I want, what I want you to see today is that procrastination is more than the thief of time. It's the grave of opportunity. And when practiced in the extreme, it may actually be the road to eternal destruction. Now what I've discovered is that anytime I stand up to preach... There are many who will embrace the message and will receive the Christ who is at the center of the message. But at the same time, I've also discovered that there are four groups of people who will hear the message but will refuse Jesus. First, there are some who do not understand or believe the gospel message. And because you don't understand it or believe it, you will refuse Jesus. Next, there are some people who are, you're just out and out determined sinners You may believe the gospel, but you are wed to your sin. You intentionally say no to God and choose your sin against him. You refuse Jesus. Then third, there are those who are self-righteous. I mean, you aren't out-and-out sinners, but you just haven't recognized your personal need for a Savior. You think the gospel is for the thief and the murderer and the pervert and the adulterer. And since you aren't that bad, you're you're a good, decent person, so you think you have no need, and you will refuse the message and will refuse Jesus. Probably the biggest group of people who will refuse Jesus is comprised of people who recognize that you do indeed need to be saved, but you procrastinate. You know you need to be saved, but, but you think, I'll do it later. I won't receive Jesus today, I'll put it off, I'll postpone the decision. It doesn't have to happen today, so I'll just wait. That's the category into which the man falls in the text we read at the beginning of this message. When the curtain rises on chapter 24 of the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul has been arrested in Jerusalem as a result of a misunderstanding with some of the militant Jews. When they thought Paul had brought a Gentile into the temple, a riot broke out and the Roman guard was called upon to quell the disturbance. Mistaking Paul for a local rebel leader, the soldiers arrested Paul. While they were trying to decide his fate, the Romans are made aware of a plot to assassinate Paul. And so they send him away secretly in the middle of the night to Caesarea. It is here that he will stand trial to determine whether or not He has broken any Roman law and is deserving of punishment. By the time you get to the verses that form the text for the message, Paul is a prisoner of the Roman government standing trial. The person before whom Paul is to present his case is a man named Felix, who is the governor of that region and will serve as the judge. Although Felix is Roman, he had an understanding of the message of the gospel. He had some religious inclinations. He, he had a curiosity about spiritual things. It's this inclination and this curiosity that caused him to have Paul brought before him. The specific request was for Paul to talk to him about faith in Jesus. Paul did talk to him about faith in Jesus. The preaching of Paul was so convincing, and the Holy Spirit working in the midst of the preaching became so convicting that Felix was literally trembling. He was brought to a point of decision about faith in Jesus. But then Felix did what so many others have done he procrastinated. Instead of repenting, he put it off and told Paul he would call for him again, and he would respond to the invitation when it was a more convenient season. Tragically, like so many others, there is no record that a more convenient season ever presented itself. And Felix serves as a warning today, a warning about the danger of delay, the foolishness of procrastinating and especially procrastinating about something as important as your eternal destiny. When Paul came before Felix, I want first of all to show you the preaching that convicted. According to verse 25, Paul preached him a three-point sermon. Look at it again. But as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Now, the verse only gives the three main points of the outline. Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. But when you look at what Paul has written in other places, it isn't too difficult to figure out the substance of his message. In that sermon that Paul preached, there is, first of all, the standard that Paul revealed. He preached to this influential man about righteousness, and specifically... The kind of righteousness God requires and the worthlessness of his own self-righteousness. You want, you, when you start talking about this idea of righteousness and how to be right in God's sight, you discover verses like Proverbs 21 and 2. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. See, you may have the applause of the masses. You may hear the accolades of your peers. When people look at you, they undoubtedly talk about what a good person you are. But when God looks at your goodness, the assessment he makes about it is Isaiah 64 and 6, where he calls your goodness a filthy garment. And that word literally means the bandages that a leper might wear on an open, oozing sore, and then when you change it, you discard the bandage. That's the way God looks at your righteousness. See, compared to God's standard, your righteousness is woefully inadequate. There's no way you can ever measure up. There's no way you can make yourself righteous enough to be acceptable to a holy God. But the good news I have for you today is 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. He made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin... To be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If you want to know how to be righteous before God, you find it in Romans 4 and 5. But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. See, you don't work for righteousness, you believe for righteousness, You don't earn righteousness by your goodness. You receive it as a work of God's grace. I want to tell you, if you'll put your faith where God put your sin on the Lord Jesus, God will then look at your faith and say, that man, that woman, that boy, that girl, I count as righteous. Not because of your self-righteousness, but because of the death of Jesus on the cross. That was the message of righteousness that Paul preached. Not only was this the standard Paul revealed, but there was also the sin that Paul revealed. He preached to Felix about self control. Now, if you know anything about the history of this man, you know that Felix was a man out of control. Verse 24 of the text says that Felix was listening to Paul with his wife, Drusilla. You'll just miss that if you don't know what's going on here. Drusilla was a world-renowned beauty at that time. She was one of the daughters of King Herod Agrippa. She was originally married when she was 15 years old. But Felix had set his eyes on her and persuaded her to leave her first husband and come and live with him. Felix was a sensuous man living in gross immorality. On top of that, he was a politician who was guilty of bribery. If you paid attention when this story was read, you saw that one of his reasons that he kept calling Paul in to talk with him was because he was hoping to get a bribe. He was hoping Paul would give him some money that he might be released. Here he was charged with being the judge of this case, but he was corrupt through and through making his judgments based on who would give him the biggest bribe. As important as he was, he was out of control. And Paul calls him on it. He spoke to him about self-control. There was the standard he revealed, which was righteousness. There was the sin he, he revealed, the lack of self-control. And then Paul presents the third point of his message. It's the summons that Paul preached. He preached to him, the Bible says, about the judgment to come. Now, now I know this isn't a popular topic in our culture of trying to make everybody feel good. And I know you'd rather I preached about how to get your blessing. I know you'd rather shout and dance and leave here with a little pick-me-up for the week. But I love you too much not to tell you that even though you may be feeling pretty good about living life however you want to live it, Judgment day is coming. Judgment day is coming. That's what it means in Romans 14 and 12. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. That's the meaning of Acts 17 verses 30 and 31. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. That's what it means in 2 Corinthians five and ten. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good. Or bad now see the problem with many of you is that when you walk in a manner that is displeasing to the Lord and you aren't immediately judged you think you somehow escaped judgment you think you got away with it you know you think God was distracted by all this stuff going on in the Middle East and that you know he was preoccupied with a global pandemic and so somehow he missed what you did Listen to Romans 2, verses 5 and 6. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. Please please listen to your pastor today when I tell you that the pleasures of sin are for a season But the wages of sin are for all eternity. The Bible says that when Paul preached this message about about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix trembled. The Holy Spirit was dealing with his heart. He knew that truth was being proclaimed to him. Conviction was tearing at his soul. But then Felix committed a horrible, tragic mistake. It's the same mistake I have prayed that no one listening to this message will repeat. Felix procrastinated. He said to Paul, okay, 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 Paul, that's enough for now. Go your way. When I have a more convenient time, I'll call for you. This story tells about the preaching that convicted. It also shows the pressures that confronted The the pressures that were being applied to Felix, they're the same pressures that you're facing every time you hear a message like this. You see, there's a spiritual enemy of your soul, and he never gives up anybody or anything without a fight. And there are three things i found that this spiritual enemy will launch against you to cause you to procrastinate and avoid surrendering your life to Jesus. The first is the world. When I say that, I'm not talking about people and I'm not talking about the planet. I'm talking about the world system, the attitude of the world that is opposed to the things of God. Think about it, here was Felix, the governor. He had a place of prominence and power and prestige. For this man to be saved, he would have to lay aside his pride in the dust and admit that he was wrong, that he couldn't do it all by himself. Admit he had a need recognize he couldn't save himself he would have to humble himself and trust in Jesus as his only hope of salvation and I want to tell you that's the same pressure that's on you who are listening to this message right now the Holy Spirit's been working on some of you he's been calling you as I'm preaching you are recognizing in a fresh new way your need to be saved at the same time there's an internal struggle thoughts are coming to your mind that if you acknowledge your need for a Savior, you'll just be making a fool of yourself. If you give any indication whatsoever that you're praying to receive Jesus, then people will say, I wonder what he's been doing. And they'll look down on you and they'll judge you. That's what goes on every time somebody hears a message like this. And then you'll look over and say, Well, you know, I'm basically a pretty good person. And look at all the good things I do. And man, compared to these guys out here, I'm a saint. No, you're not. You're still a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. That's the pressure that comes from the world system. Not only is there the pressure of the world, there's also the pressure of the flesh. And when I talk about the flesh, I'm not talking about your skin and your muscle and your bones. I'm talking about that inward proclivity that all of us have towards sin. Think think about Felix. Remember, there's Drusilla on his arm and that pressure of sensuous living is pulling at him. There are the bribes he's been getting. There's the soft job he has. There are all the pleasures of the flesh that he might be asked to give up. You know, that's one of the things I hear all the time when people talk about, well, you know, I would really be a Christian. I'd really serve the Lord, but I don't think I can give up, fill in the blank. I'd have to do this and this and this, and I I, I just have to give up so much stuff. I... Can I give you some good news about that from God's word? Would anybody like to have some good news about it? Let me just tell you. Psalm 84:11: "For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. Watch this: No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly." Do you see that? No good thing will He withhold. From those who walk uprightly. Listen to me very carefully. If you haven't heard anything else, please hear this. The only thing God will ever ask you to give up are the things that will hurt you. That's all. If he's asking for it, he knows it's going to hurt you. It will be detrimental to you. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. There's the pressure from the world, there's the ple- pressure from the flesh, and then there's the pressure from the devil. You know, the Bible says the devil is the accuser. He'll accuse you by telling you that you're too bad to be accepted by a loving God, he'll accuse you by telling you that you've waited too long and it's too late. In addition to being an accuser, the Bible also says that he is the deceiver. He'll deceive you by telling you that you're not all that bad, and this salvation stuff is for the really hardened criminals. He'll deceive you by telling you that you have plenty of time to make up your mind. You just need a little more information. You you just need the right setting, the right mood. You're going to make things right between you and God, just not today. In spite of the preaching that convicted him in Because Felix gave in to the pressure that confronted him, he made a presumption that condemned him. It's in verse 27. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus and wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. Felix kept saying that he was looking for a a more convenient time, but it never came. And from everything we can find out, he never did surrender his life to Jesus. History records that Felix died a suicide. The real irony of his life is that the name Felix means happy. But this man named Happy had no happiness, no joy, was never able to to resolve the internal conflict. He put it off day after day, week after week, month after month, until it turned into years. And he never received Jesus. His procrastination led him to a tragic presumption. He presumed he would have a convenient season. See, Felix had the idea that tomorrow is a better time. Listen to me, tomorrow is not a better time. And I'll tell you why. If you wait until tomorrow, you're going to lose today. And the truth is, you have no promise of tomorrow. No promise. I wish I could guarantee you a certain number of years. I wish I could say to you, on such and such a date, at such and such a time, is when you're going to breathe your last breath. But nobody knows that except God. Only God has numbered our days. That's why Proverbs 27 and 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. That's what it means in Job 7 and 6. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. It's the meaning of Psalm 39 and 5. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. That's what it means in Psalm 102 and 11, my days are like a lengthened shadow, and I wither away like grass. Uh, How many of you are are wearing a a wristwatch or or a timepiece of of some sort? Hold it up just a second, would you? Just, Just hold it up. Now, would you just look at it for a moment? Look at it. And mark the seconds as they tick away. Just look at it. Mark those seconds. I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. You know me better than that. But I am trying to impress a point to you today. With every tick of your watch, a person dies. One person a second. 60 every minute. 3,600 Every hour. 86,000 souls a day are going into eternity. One of those ticks is yours, but you don't know which one until it comes. Listen to what the writer says in Hebrews 3.15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. Can I just tell you that today is the only time on God's calendar? When asked to reveal himself and, and to declare his name, do you remember what God said? He said, I am. Not I was, not I will be, I am. The only time on God's calendar is today. Yesterday is gone, it's in the tomb of time. Tomorrow never gets here, it's in the womb of time. Today, if you will hear his voice, today is the day of salvation, today is the day Some are going to keep putting it off, thinking you have plenty of time only to be claimed by death before you ever find that convenient time to make things right. Some will keep postponing that decision, and you're not going to miss the chance because of death, but you'll miss it because Jesus comes. And you'll still be waiting for the right time, but the Lord is coming. Let me ask you, are you ready? If the trumpet were to sound today... Are you ready? Don't put it off. There will never be a better time than right now. And you don't even have to wait to the end of this message because you don't know for sure that you'll get to the end of this message. You can do that right now in your own heart, in your own mind. Just say, I'm turning to you, Jesus. And in that moment, you can make things right between you and God. It's that simple. Felix made the tragic presumption he would have a convenient season. Then he made the presumption that conviction will continue. Felix waited and waited and waited. He listened and listened and listened. He had conversation after conversation, but he never responded to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He never moved beyond what he considered convenient. He always felt that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would be there to draw him. And there's no record of him ever surrendering his life to the will of God. That verse I quoted in Hebrews 3.15, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Here's what I know. Anything you do long enough, you get pretty good at doing it. Come on, somebody. You keep at it long enough. The more you do it, the more proficient you become. Any, any, any seamstresses in the house any, any, or tailors, anybody that, that sews? You remember the first time you ever tried to do a stitch? But you kept at it. And now, after doing it a while, boy, that, that's... Any bakers in the house? First time you tried to bake... I hope you threw it out. (laughs) And didn't try to just, you know. No, but that's pretty good. The more you do it, the more proficient you become. Did you know you can become very proficient at rejecting the Lord Jesus? You can harden your heart Against God. Every time you hear the message of God's grace extended to you and you postpone giving your heart to Jesus, your heart is just a little harder. So I beg you, I beg you, don't ever put off giving your heart to the Lord Jesus. Don't ever put off being obedient to His voice. Don't presume that conviction will continue. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 3 the Lord speaks and says, "My spirit shall not strive with man forever." The Lord spoke through the prophet in Hosea 4:17 and said, "Ephraim is joined to idols; let him alone." Here's a man who has lived in idolatry. He's lived in sin so long, he's married to his sin, and God says, "That's what he's chosen, that's what he wants to do." Okay. Leave him alone. I'm telling you it's possible to prolong making a decision for Jesus until you come to a place where you can't make a decision for him. Felix made a tragic presumption that he would always have a convenient season. He presumed that conviction will continue. And finally, I want you to see that Felix presumed that conflict will cease. He made the tragic mistake of thinking that it would somehow be easier later than it is now. Please hear me. There will never be an easier time for you to be saved than right now. Never, never. There will never be a better, easier time. Second Corinthians 6 and 2. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Listen, listen. Tomorrow... You'll have more sin to repent of, you'll have less time to repent in, and you'll have a harder heart to repent with. Today is the day. I'm talking to someone who has heard the message of the good news of God's love over and over again. You've been around church, some of you, most of your life. You know the language of the church, you know the mannerisms of the church. Some of you've said prayers after the minister. But right now, your life isn't fully surrendered to the will and the plan of God. Some of you just play in the game. You're going through the motions. You're a good person by the world's standards. But the truth is, you're not surrendered to Jesus. You're lost. You need to be saved. I'm talking to someone who is walking far off from God. And he's calling you to return. And The Lord has me preaching this message to give you one more opportunity to respond in obedience to his voice that is calling you. The Lord is confronting you right now with righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come. I urge you, don't cave to the pressure of the world and the flesh and the devil. And don't presume that there will always be time and there will always be the pull of the Holy Spirit and that things will be easier at a later date. Today, 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 Oh, Jesus, today is the day to surrender your life to Jesus. Today is the day to ignore the crowd, to simply come just like you are to Jesus. Bow your heads with me, please. I'm done. Holy Spirit, all I know to do is to proclaim the word you've given me to the best of my ability. And I've tried to do that today. But I also know that you're the only one who can make it real to somebody's heart. You're the only one, oh Lord, who can convince and convict. But I'm asking you to do that now. The lives of these people. Convince them, convict them. Give them the courage to say yes to you. While our heads are bowed, I want to tell you, you don't need a sign or a feeling. You just need to embrace the truth of God's word. I'm not going to ask you to raise a hand. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to fill out a card. I'm not going to ask you to shake the pastor's hand. All of those are good. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not going to ask you to repeat a prayer after me. I'm just going to ask you, if you are ready and you recognize your need for Jesus and you will surrender to him, I'm going to ask you in your own heart in your own mind, to just look to Jesus and say, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. I surrender my life to you. It's just that easy. If you'll do that, his promise is he'll save you. Lord Jesus, give us the courage to do that now. whether we've never heard about you or whether we've heard about you all our life, bring us to that point where we stop procrastinating. We stop putting it off. And we make the choice for Jesus. Because today is the day of salvation. And if you make that decision today, the only thing I'm going to ask you to do is tell somebody else about it. it. Doesn't have to be me, it can be, but tell somebody today, I surrendered my life to Jesus. It's the best decision you'll ever, ever make. Just come to him like this. Just as
1: I am without one plea, But that Thy blood was shed for me, And that Thou bidst me come, God, I come, I come.
0: You can have this confidence.
1: Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse.